welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. We're here for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, and today we're talking with Jose Pantes, who says we can call him Joe Pantes if we feel like it, uh, like Joe Biden. Uh, he's a market analyst at AFO and EV Volumes, and many listeners and readers know Jose well because he does monthly reports on plug-in vehicle sales, has done so for years, actually almost a decade, but on Clean Technica for several years of top markets. Today, we're talking not just about a few top markets, but also about some other markets that we normally don't report on because of interesting matters there, and just sort of discussing some broader plug-in vehicle matters. So to start with, we're going to talk about passenger car market share of plug-ins in the EU in general. And Jose, I think you have some something to share from the AFO site about that. Yep. And welcome, Jose. Hi, Thank Zach. you for joining us again. Hi, Zach. Thank you for inviting me. So I have here something to share, which is the AFO portal. Or AFO means European Alternative Fuels Observatory. And here you can see the market share evolution of plug-in cars in the European Union. And as you can see, the last two years have been outstanding because from a normal curve, you jumped from 2.5% in 2019 to 10% in 2020. And now we are at 14% and probably it should end the year over 15%, maybe 16 or 17%. So the hockey stick is almost vertical here. It's jumping through the roof. But one thing that's important to know is that market shares are not equal throughout the European Union. And I wanted to show some markets that are growing fast, and some of them might even surprise you, as is the case of Greece, for example. And before we get into that, I'll just ask you a question here. So everyone knows that a big reason for market shares to jump is that EU policies basically required it. Either automakers sell more efficient vehicles, plug-in vehicles, or they pay big fines. I think there's a bit of concern that that, that, that growth will slow down now in the next few years because it's sort of like it, start, you know, they, it started at, it had to be a certain level last year and this year, but it's not going to grow so quickly just based on policy in the next few years. Can you say a little bit on that? Yeah, sure. Thing is, yes, policy making was probably the major reason why the market jumped so fast last year. But what we are seeing now is that because of market demand, many companies are basically going EV or else because Several brands like Volvo or Jaguar and many others are already investing in a future without ICE models. They are going BEV. So yes, there is a market policy that advanced what we should have have like in 2023 to 2020, from now on is more like a perspective of market than anything else. For example, especially in the more premium part of the market, BMWs and uh, Audis and Mercedes are investing in BEVs, not because they want to save the planet, although they might think of that, but that's not the main reason. The main reason is demand. People want BEVs. And if they don't get it from BMW or the others, they just go to Tesla or the new Chinese brands that are coming. So yeah, it once will you, be more. Once you hit, once you hit a certain share, like ten percent, I think you, you like to call you like to call this. A, oh, I should have known because I've seen it in like a dozen articles, and you have it uh, capitalized and italicized. Disrupt, 
disruption point or something there's a, what's your phrase for this yeah uh, as i like to mention 10% is the point where market works for itself so demand becomes self sufficient and so so policy might get you to 10%, but then once you're at 10%, the market sort of says, hey, you know, your neighbor sees the cars, you know, more, it just takes, it's like a snowball effect. Uh, and what do you, you call it disruption point? Or what is, what is your phrase for that in all these articles that we've, <laughs> are you also blanking on it? <laughs> no, <both>. no. <laughs> yeah, I like to call it the disruption zone over 10%. Yeah, but disruption of zone. Course, yeah. yeah. But of course, this is assuming that every market condition stays the same, namely incentives, et cetera, et cetera. Because as we are going to see further in a few minutes, there are countries where they had large market shares, but then they removed incentives and then market just plunged. So yes, demand is like a snowball, but assuming that all incentives are in place. And they are not removed. So we're looking right now. Uh, so, you're, I think you're guiding us to Greece, right? Yeah. So one of the big surprises of the past year or year and a half has been Greece. Because they've come from a point in 2019 where they basically had nothing, 0.5% share. And then 2020, they jumped to 25 and now they are over 5%. So can you show Italy too? Because we've had this, uh, Car Carlo Ambello has been publishing about Italy yeah. and it's had a similar kind of, like went from dead to actually like a pretty hot market. Yeah, basically the same history as Greece. So from little less than 1% in 2019 to the current 7%. So, and the same happens uh, with Spain, the other market that was known for being laggards. So Southern Europe now, woke up from their siesta. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but now things are growing fast there. So over 5% also. So, but for me, Greece was the most surprising market uh, to jump. I mean, if Spain and... Italy are laggards, but we knew that somewhere in the future they would trigger large growth. Greece was a good surprise. And what vehicles and are selling in Greece? Because, you know, in Italy, it's the, you know, Fiat has gotten a little more serious. What's selling in Greece? What vehicles? Okay, let me go here. And I think we have the best selling models somewhere. Ah. So best-selling models, Volvo XC40 PHEV, Volvo X1, Volvo Mercedes GLA, Volvo XC60, Tesla Model 3 and BMW i3. So basically small SUVs and Tesla and the BMW i3. And if you think about it, what, does what do people want right now? SUVs. So if you electrify SUVs, even if it's with a plug-in hybrid, people will buy them. I don't know if you have any other question here. Oh yeah, I thought you were rolling through. So so yeah, moving on from Greece and Italy and Spain, which you know it's exciting to see that they've woken up because I mean I think that's sort of one of the most difficult things. It's it's great to report on the leading markets and it's fun. But then you think about all of the other markets and there's so many other markets. And it's sort of like with models, you report on the top models but it's actually the whole field that matters. You know, you have to have the, the markets where you have a lot of models do really well. The markets that have just a handful of competitive models aren't really doing well at all, like the US, for example. Yeah, well, but jumping to one of those hot markets, one of my favorite countries always since I was a kid is the Netherlands. And it's one of the, it's been one of the leaders in plug-in vehicle adoption. Going to Amsterdam is an amazing experience if you're an EV fan or bike fan. But it's also, it's, it's probably got the biggest boom bust market of all, doesn't it, for plugins? Yeah. As you can see here, 
The Netherlands was one of the early leaders in electric mobility. It got to 5% in 2013, but incentives were made in a way, namely regarding company cars, where it was a big advantage for companies to buy plug-in hybrids for fiscal reasons. That's why, for example, in 2013, BVs were only 0.6%, but plug-in hybrids had almost 5%. And I think for so any, this... any, any non-European listeners, company cars are a much bigger deal in, in Europe. Like this is a lot of people drive cars that they're leasing as company cars. It's, sort of, it's a very complicated system, but it's very common, much more common, I think, than anywhere else right yeah people it's basically just a way for people to earn more money without declaring it if you do it right because but it's not tax it's evasion a, it's not it's not like it's not a tr- trump thing it's <laughs> the thing that he's getting indicted for right <laughs> sorry his company is getting indicted for <laughs> It's a different, it's a, it's just, it's how it's done. And, but policies that affect the business leasing are very big deal in Europe as a result, right? Yeah. And as you can see in 2015, they got to 10% market share, but then out of that 10%, 9.2 was PHEV. And of course this created a lot of criticism and the government started to change incentives. So the incentives for PHEVs were reduced in 2016. And basically, PHEVs stopped having incentives as company cars from this moment on, which led for BEVs to finally start growing in a significant way. So from 2017, when they only had 2%, they jumped to 2020, where they had 20%. But in the end of 2020, they also started to remove the benefit-in-kind incentive for BVs. And what happened then? Well, if people thought, well, I don't have a lot of incentive on BVs, so might as well go for PHEV. And then not only the total market share dropped, but PHEVs returned to the spotlight and outsold once again BEVs. But they both get some sort of incentive still, right? Or neither of them have? Well, uh, BEVs still have benefit-in-kind incentives, only not as significant as before, but both pay less taxes regarding CO2. So somewhat, or some... in the case of BVs, they don't pay CO two taxes. Mm-hmm. And so, what's? I mean, this is the hard question. What is going to happen in the, in the Netherlands? What do you What do you see for the next, you know, few years through twenty twenty three at least? Well, you gotta ask the Dutch government about that because it depends on how they move the incentives. You think they might continue to change incentives a bit up? Yeah, I think this becomes like a warning for the future. If you continue to remove incentives, the overall market share not only drops or doesn't grow as fast, but PHEVs win back a large market share. So I would advise to keep incentives as... Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Steady incentives seem to be better. Do you think people in the Netherlands right now are? We should ask Martin or one of our other or Kanan, one of our Dutch guys. But do you think that people are delaying purchases with the hope of stronger incentives next year? Mm, I don't think so. What might happen is if new incentives, uh, if a new removal of incentives happen next year there will be another peak in sales in the end of this year. Which would be very typical of the Netherlands. So yeah. so let's go on to some other markets. But Netherlands right now, even after the drop, it is still, I believe it's third behind Sweden now for 
for BEV market share even, as well as plug-in vehicle market share. Norway is first, I think Sweden is second, but I'm not sure, you you might know. Uh, no, uh, Iceland. Iceland, yeah, you know, I, I struggle with whether or not to include Iceland. I love Iceland, it's a beautiful place, great place, <laughs> but it's tiny, it's like, it's like uh, it's it's got like less people than Hawaii or something. Does it? It's it's just a very small market, and it's also a unique market since it's landlocked and yeah. small geographically. But I mean, ocean, yeah, an island, an island. Anyway, so aside from Iceland, so actually the number two. Well, we can go there directly because. I was going to talk about, yeah, Netherlands have this boom-bust behavior because of incentives. And I want to show a country that's doing incentives right, which is Austria. As you can see, also, they had a large push in the, in the last two years, 2020-2021. But most of the growth comes from BEVs. Yes, PHEVs are growing. And it represents 6% of the market this year, but BEVs represent 10%. So this is the good behavior among the plug-in market. PHEVs represent a complement or a, a transition for buyers that are still not ready to go BEV, but the main part of the market is BEVs. So this is the ideal scenario. Which months of 2021 does this include right now? So it's first quarter or first? Up to April. Up to April, through April, right? So first yeah. four months. Okay, well, this is, yeah, this is fascinating. I have to get, look through this more. I didn't realize Austria had jumped so much, but, you know, across the board, this is happening. Yeah, and, and this is incentives do, done right where the main focus of incentives are done on BVs and PHEVs. Basically, the advantage you have is that you don't pay as many taxes as you would pay if you had a regular gasoline car. I don't know if you have any doubts regarding Austria. No, I thought you were going to jump to... So this is incentives done right, and I think you were going to say something else's incentives done wrong? Uh, yeah. So Belgium has a large market share, but it's close to 15%. But as you can see, basically, it's growing thanks to plug-in hybrids. And so this, this is what would happen in the Netherlands if they hadn't removed incentives to PHEVs in company cars. Yeah, and this is the best place to ask the question I was about to ask before. You know, there's different studies I've seen from Norway and California, and forget if elsewhere, showing that there's a large portion of PH, PHEV plug-in hybrid buyers don't plug in their vehicles, obviously, if they're incentivized to buy them, but then they don't have easy way to plug them in, they might not. How do you, you know, you live in Europe, you lived in Portugal, you live in Belgium, you have a sense of, you know, from on the street, you know, talk and, and stuff, as well as, you know, market analysis. Do you have a, a sense that there's a lot of plug-in hybrid buyers that really just don't plug in their vehicles? Yeah, in the company car segment, that's, I would say the norm. And I mean, uh, but a lot of Europeans are quite parts. climate aware and it's also just expensive. Like, is it just that, that difficult, that much of an inconvenience charging is that difficult for them or is, or they just really don't really care? I would not uh, say that they don't care. It's just that sometimes either they don't have a place to plug at home. People live in apartments, mainly in large cities. And if they don't have a convenient place to charge their car, they won't bother with it if they have a company car because uh, petrol or diesel are paid by the company. So why would they bother charging their car if the fuel is paid, mm -hmm. you know? 
they don't yeah. have any incentives like financially to plug their cars. So do you know of any solutions that are sort of underway in a place like Belgium where they've got this explosion in plug-in hybrid sales? Well, not Belgium. Where are we? Yeah, Belgium. You are in Belgium. Belgium oh, yeah. so you, re- you live in a really a place where this is an issue. Yeah. Yeah. I would say part of the solution is removing incentives as company cars to PHEVs and focusing just on BVs, as the Netherlands have done in the past. But also, there's a need for convenient charging in roads. For example, one thing that sh- always shocks me when I go to, the, to Norway is that you run around Oslo streets and you find chargers regularly in, in roadside. And that's not something you would find commonly in other countries in Europe, with the exception of the Netherlands. So Even the Netherlands has the best ratio of chargers to EVs, doesn't it? I mean, of major yeah, markets. Actually, uh, one of the things I think it's worth to mention is that Netherlands, Germany, France, and a few Nordic countries, they are well served regarding charging infrastructure or more or less well served. But if you go outside these countries, and you try to make a trip from, I, I don't know, Lisbon to Warsaw, you will find a lot of troubles to do that if you don't have a Tesla. And that's something that we need to understand that Tesla, yes, it has the only network that works fine from Lisbon to Warsaw, but not everyone has to buy a Tesla to do that. So. Ionity and the other charging infrastructure networks need to work together and make, first of all, a good highway network between all countries, but also in big cities to have easy roadside charging for people that live in an apartment and need to charge their plug-in hybrid or their BV conveniently without having to search for oh, I'm going to charge there and then waste an hour charging my car and then I'll go back to my house. Then I would rather go to the petrol station and fuel my car for five minutes and then go back. Yeah, yeah. And this is, uh, we've we published, there's a couple of guys from Poland who run a Polish site that covers EVs and they, they got a Porsche Taycan and drove it from Poland to Portugal. And this was a major they, they they found it was quite difficult more than they ex- expected to charge along the way just so many different networks they had to get access to so many chargers down or or not yeah not easy to, to access and they're, they're going to get another ev soon and do another review for us i forget what the ev is maybe the id4 and curious to see how that trip goes and then martin vinkhausen one of our writers drove from the netherlands down to France, I think, or through France. And just, they had a nightmare of a time in France getting chargers that were, that actually worked. So it's, it's a surprising problem. It's surprising that it's such a big problem in Europe considering Europe's sort of climate leadership, but it's also part of the, I don't know, I, it's a lot of different countries and they all have their own systems, right? That's why I thought Ionity would be the big solution and have a Tesla-like network in the future. But Ionity is still very much concentrated in a couple of countries or four or five countries. And I don't think, for example, a large country like Poland has one Ionity charging station, which is absurd. Yeah, I'm not sure. We've got all these Greenway fast chargers and I... I feel like Greenway will be uh, pulled into the Ionity network at some point. There's all these different relationships and partnerships too, where, you know, which are confusing as an outsider, but I guess also as an insider, perhaps that, you know, there's different charging network, you know, relationships. I mean, you saw in the Volkswagen presentation where they were like, we have chargers everywhere. It's like, well, you somehow, you somehow have access to chargers somehow through different network but it's, it's just too complicated right now and yeah ionity the funny thing is electrify america seems to be doing pretty well with its rollout 
and it's the same kind of concept as Ionity, but I guess it's just easier being U.S. is a little bit more. Yeah, it's less. There's less uh, diversity and barriers across borders, you know, state borders than there are country borders here in Europe. Uh, well, before we move on to another, I'm I'm curious. I know the UK is not in Europe. We're all well aware of that now. They've made it exceedingly clear. But do you guys have the UK in here as well? Because they're they're a fascinating market that's got gotten really high shares since last year. Or is that yeah, not we covered? can make a detour over the UK jumped over the channel (laughs) so regarding the uk we can see that there was also a big jump and once again this is more or less incentives done right so yes phevs continue to grow from 1.6 percent in 2019 to four percent then 6.7 this year but bvs are growing at the same pace and they are still the majority of the market. Yeah, so, I like the UK. Uh, the UK market seems pretty pretty good on good footing right now. Okay, so we oh, we were going to talk about actually I'm not sure where we're going to go from there. I, I know you wanted to touch on Denmark, Germany, Iceland. Oh, Iceland. Oh, see, look at that. You had Iceland on the list and I was just sitting here rubbing it off. Do you want to jump to Iceland now or, or Germany and Denmark? I really love Iceland and I, I've, I used to include it, but it, it's just so small. It's just hard to call it a, like, and it's, uh, I, can I forget go if to, I yeah, lost data I, to I it can, or something. I can go on a fast tour into Denmark. So once again, incentives had something is happening here because PHEVs have jumped through the roof and funny enough there's a seven for anyone just listening they have 17.6 percent market share just plug-in hybrids in 2021 in Denmark and they also had a lot in 2020 what was the percentage there 2020 Uh, was 9.4 but still 9.4 now 17.6 just plug-in hybrids yeah, and one of the interesting phenomenons happening in Denmark is that they have a love for the Ford Cougar PHEV, known in the US as Ford Escape. I mean, it's the number one car sold in Denmark. In the overall, it's the market. number one vehicle of any kind. The, the, yeah, <laughs> that's funny. So, well, well what do you think? Must, how do you think the Mustang Mach E will do there? I mean, it, it should already be trickling in, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it could sell very well in, in Denmark. It's a question of waiting for a few months so that delivery becomes normal and I think Ford really needs to see what's Ford, happening there. Ford really needs higher production capacity for the Mach-E, I think. So what's the percentage of BEVs there in, in Denmark? So... PHEVs have jumped through the roof, but BEVs have climbed from 22.5 in 2019 to 7%, which is great, right? But then this year it dropped to 6.5%. So maybe it's, a, it's uh, the same problem as it's the same problem as Belgium, or is or it's a different problem? I'm not very aware of the incentives in Denmark. I think they are more tax related than incentive related. But I think probably if they removed part of the tax cuts to PHEVs, I think BEVs would benefit from it. And do the Danes love Ford for some reason? I, I wasn't aware of Ford being very big in any country in Europe. Or is it just like that's that's just the perfect vehicle for the market and not much competition or something? Yeah, that surprised me too. So if any of our Danish readers or watchers want to leave a comment because of this, feel free gen- because this generally is the, actually surprising. Yeah, the countries up there often love Volvo, Volkswagen, Audi. This is like their kind of market. Pr- I mean, not in Denmark, but in neighboring Sweden and and. Uh, Norway, Finland. So that's Denmark. Let's jump to Iceland yeah. before we do Germany. Since Okay. <laughs> you want to know about Iceland. Let's, 
Let's okay, see. let's go to Iceland, where the market has been growing steadily over the years, and they are now at over 60% market share. So, so we, ha we have to do reports on them again. Yeah, uh, this, uh, I, a few years ago, like way back 2015, I called Iceland something like Little Norway or Second Norway. <laughs> yeah. And it's having a Norway-like success with plug-in cars. It's like Norway's baby. Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's the, can you say the shares for 2019, 20, and 21? The BEV yeah, 2019, BEV. they had 9.5 BVs and 15% PHVs. So they're already solidly in the disruption zone in 2019, which is a key. Yeah, they started to be in the disruption zone in 2017. When they had 10% plug-in hybrid and and what percent BV? That was 4% BV. So it was 14% total in 2017. Still heavy, heavy preference for plug-in hybrids at the time and in 2018 as well, where they had 15% and 4% BV. But then in 2019, it started to BEV started to grow. So 9.5% yeah. versus 15% still plug-in hybrid. Then 2020, 25% PHEV, 26% PV. So, so BVs became the majority. Wow. And then 35% in 2021 for PHEVs and 28% for BVs. And I haven't looked at the market year. closely in a while. Is that is that largely Tesla in Iceland? Or is there Another popular uh, BV. Have a look. So Mitsubishi Outlander continues to be a big seller in uh, Iceland, just like the Nissan Leaf. The Nissan Leaf is the top BV. And then we have the Tesla Model 3, Volvo XC90, Volks, uh, and Volvo XC60. One thing that's particular to the overall Icelandic market is that they love big SUVs. So it's not surprising that big Volvos like the XC90 and the XC60 are here. Just like, I think the Audi e-tron is also selling significantly there. Yeah, look at that. the XC90 outsells XC60, which is weird. Do you know any other market though where Nissan Leaf is still the number one BEV in Europe? Uh, yeah. Uh, Nissan Leaf continues to be big in Ireland, in Portugal also, and I think in Hungary. Number one? Uh, I wouldn't say number one, but uh, among the top three. Curious how the ID4, well, is that the ID4? I can't see the full name on that, that dark gray Volkswagen. Is that the ID4 or ID3? Or is that a plug-in hybrid? Uh, maybe? This is a plug-in hybrid. This is the Golf. So I'm curious to see how some of these newer models do. I guess they don't get, Iceland is probably not a priority market for them because it's a small market, but. Uh, yeah, it takes a, a little longer to for new models to get to Iceland. Yeah. Uh, so going from Iceland, we, you want to look at Germany still? Yes, I would call Germany the giant that has awakened. And yeah, you can and I see why. And I think it's something, this is the largest auto market in Europe, right? Germany? Yeah, yeah. Overall. So a big plug-in share there goes a lot further than a big plug-in share in Ireland or Iceland or even Switzerland or Belgium or something. You know, Germany is yeah. like a behemoth in the European auto market. And as you can see, Things were growing steadily until 2019. And 2019, they had 1.2% PHEV share and 1.7% BEV. But then 2020 came and things went through the roof. It jumped to 6.4% BVs and 6.9% PHEVs. And the paces continue to grow this year with already almost 10% BEV and 12% PHEV. Yeah, that's huge. That looks like the biggest jump we've seen uh, the, the from 2019 to 2020. And most of this is thanks to Volkswagen 
the Volkswagen Group, not only the Volkswagen brand, but also Skoda and Seat and Cupra and Audi. We maybe take a sidetrack here. The, the, the Skoda, is it Skoda or Skoda? Skoda. I think it's Skoda. Skoda. Skoda, Skoda sort, of, sort of means like a similar, almost the same word as, as pity in, Poli- in, in Polish. You say Skoda. It's like, a, oh, pity. This is like kind of, a, anyway. Uh, so the Skoda or Skoda ENIAC, which I was excited about when it came out. Uh, a number of readers were. Um, it's an interesting sort of Skoda's version of the ID4 sort of, but it's been really hot. Like we've seen in your recent EV sales reports, it's been one of the hottest vehicles and could, is jumping towards the podium in, uh, across Europe. You want to talk a little bit about why that is and what's the deal with it? Yeah, sure. As uh, you And just before you get this... into like it, the ID4 is sort of underperforming, right? And ENIAC is over overperforming. So maybe t- touch on that as well, if that's true or not. So as you mentioned, the Skoda ENIAC is becoming a success. And it's actually outselling the ID4 in many European countries. And the reason uh, might be in demand, but also in production, because the ENIAC is being made in the Czech Republic, and it's the only V being made there. So that factory line is only making one model. So they can max out production of the ENIAC as they want. But regarding the ID4, they have to make not only the ID4, but also the ID3 and the new Audi Q4 in one factory in Germany. So, so is Volkswagen need... suffering from a similar thing like Tesla with you know, Model Y sales have wrapped up. So, you know, they have to balance Model Y, Model 3 production. Volkswagen has to balance ID3, ID4, and uh, what did you just mention? Which model? The new Audi Q4. Audi Q4. Is this, is is a lot of the limited sales due to limited production at this point? Or is there also a demand issue? I would say for the ID4 to be more production issue, than a demand issue. Although for the ID3, I think it's more like a demand issue. And is Volkswagen that the was market, expecting. Is that like the market shift to larger vehicles or what is that? Why is that? I would say that is the reason. What has been happening is that if you look at the best sellers in Europe regarding EVs and plug-in hybrids, like the majority of them are SUVs or crossovers. So the expectation that Volkswagen had to make the ID3 the successor of the Golf and probably in the future, the best-selling EV in Europe is now changing because changing customer tastes. So the ID4 is now the new bread and butter model for the Volkswagen. I think this is hard for Americans to understand, or even Europeans, perhaps, because the European market does still favor smaller cars much more than the U.S. market. But in the time that I lived in Poland for over 11 years, until three years ago, but still visiting, is the you could see, you could just, it was obvious that SUVs became more popular in that time. Like, more, like when I got here in, in 2008, there was like nothing, like almost no real SUVs. And now they're quite common. So the market has really been shifting like America, like the American market towards larger vehicles. Not as dramatic, it's not as obvious as the American market where it's like really hard to sell a car. I mean, aside, yeah, but I think that's that's sort of the story across. That's, that's the story over here. That's the story over there in Portugal and Belgium and other countries as well. It's just across Europe. Is that from, I mean, what is that? What, you know, is that from, what is that from? What do you think that's from? Uh, well, I think it's kind of like the general taste going towards larger vehicles, but there's also an implication regarding BVs and PHEVs in a smaller way. Because if you have a large SUV like a BMW X5 going on diesel, you end up paying a lot more in fuel than if you had a more efficient, uh, let's say, BMW 5 Series. 
because aerodynamics make a difference in fuel consumption. But if you buy a Model X and the Model, if you compare Model S with a Model X, the difference in consumption isn't really significant. So people tend to think, well, for the same kind of consumption, I would rather go with a bigger vehicle. So that's why I think the SUV phenomenon is being even more significant in BEVs and PHEVs. That's an interesting point. So the last market we'll get into is the big, the big dog, the, the leader for many years now, Norway. And in Norway, you, you're also going to talk about not just passenger cars, but I'm going to talk a little bit about another segment of the market that gets almost no love, but it's also critical. So well, let's yeah. start with the passenger cars. Yeah, as you can see, they are now at 80% market share. So this is looking into the future of transportation in a few years. <laughs> so this is how the world will look like, like 10 years from now or 15 years from now. And it's a, a little uh, bit expected. I mean, it's what we expected, but it's also a little bit of a relief because, you know, this is how we expected it to go. But when you're sitting at 13% or 15%, there's still a little bit of concern that it won't go to the perfect, you know, perfectly as you hope or expect based on the models. So going back to that threshold of the 10% as the disruption zone, in Norway, instantly, there was no disruption. It was always constant growth. They hit the so-called disruption zone in 2014, where BVs got to 12.6%. And then five years later, they were at 42% BVs and 14% PHEVs. Go an extra two years and we are at 50% BVs and 31% PHEVs. So are we witness, are we in Europe in 2014 regarding market share? And then seven years from now, so 2028, are we at 80%? I don't know, because one of the good things that Norway had throughout the these past years is that they maintain a coherence regarding incentives. So they, yes, they started to remove a few smaller incentives in the last couple of years, but the main incentives, meaning VAT exemption, et cetera, et cetera, they remained. So if we do not remove incentives in the next few years, we might be seeing something like this in Europe happening. Yeah, I, I have been doing it a couple of times Last time was maybe three months ago. I need to do another one, uh, kind of analysis of how not just market share in different countries, but how fast markets went from 5% up or 3% up. I forget where I start. And you can see that the more recent, the countries that have been growing, that have hit those, hit 5% more recently, have grown much more quickly than Norway did. So Norway had a steadier slower growth than another like half dozen or, or even maybe dozen markets that have grown hit five percent and then grown faster but as we said at the beginning a big part of that is the eu co2 regulations which basically required it so it's and like you said like these other markets have not had very steady a lot of markets have not had very steady regulations whereas norway's has been extremely steady for a decade or almost about a decade how long is it? a decade yeah so, yeah, so it's hard to, so you're, you're saying it's hard to predict any of these other it's hard to predict if any if any other countries followed norway's kind of trends right yeah because it will depend also on incentives and also on politics so if you want incentives to be kept please vote on politicians that truly believe in evs yeah, and also Norway being a, it's also a relatively small market. So automakers could more easily adapt to its growth in demand and EV, EV demand. Whereas if all of Europe, Germany, France, Italy, Spain, if, all, if in, in three years everyone wants an EV, 
it's much harder for automakers to suddenly ramp up production to fulfill. Yeah, I mean, there will be, (laughs) I think there will be blood being shed on legacy makers in the next couple of years because some won't be able to adapt as fast as the market is. The next two years will be really exciting with plenty of changes in the automotive business. So we'll get to your last topic in a second, but before that, because this triggered that thought and I wanted to bring it up earlier, you know, Martin Vinkhausen has written an epic article for us years back about Osborne effects. And this has become bigger and bigger deal more and more possibly. I mean, it's definitely happening at some level because we even have readers who say they're putting off buying a car because they're waiting for something. But the idea is that even if automakers can't supply full EV demand in the next few years, consumers might decide to not buy new cars that they would have bought that are not EVs because they're waiting for their next car to be an EV. And, you know, we can say BEV or plug-in hybrid at this point, it's, you know, similar story either way. But how much do you, and, and so, so last year, COVID hit the auto market quite strongly in Europe, obviously, but even this year, auto sales in, in a lot of European countries are, are much lower than they were in 2019, aren't they? Or, or am I wrong on yes. that? You're right. So, so, so is that is that a is that Osborne effect already hitting, or is that something else? You think? I think this is already the Osborne effect hitting. And how part of it could be the how, chip how, crisis, but most of it is Osborne. Yeah, the chips is another right. That's another factor. And how how much do you think that is? Like, do you? I mean, can you give any numbers on that? Because I can't. But I, I mean, I could throw some out there, but they might be wrong. Um, but. But do you have any specific percentages or figures on how much the market has dropped and how much that might be Osborne effect? Or I don't have actual numbers, but I would say 10% could be attributed That was my guess. To... So I feel good. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. 10% seems like a good cautious guess for how much it's already hitting, right? That's yeah. That was my guess. Well, okay, well, let's move. Anyway, that's a fascinating topic we can explore in a year or two when it gets really serious, maybe. Let's explore the the final topic here on the list, which is I'll let you introduce what, you know, it's your idea. So I'll totally give it to you to (laughs) tell the story here. So basically, so far, we all have been focusing on passenger cars. And we are forgetting another essential uh, part of the market, which are light commercial vehicles, meaning Renault, Kangoo's, Ford Transit, etc., etc. And the only place where disruption is already happening regarding market share is, how you say it? Norway again. The market share is now at 18%. And as you can see, basically, it's a BEV market. And for anyone listening, just to be clear, so the passenger car market is 80%, 80% plug-in cars, and the light commercial vehicle market is 18, 18% plug-in vehicles and almost entirely fully electric BEVs. So 60, more than 60% lower, but almost completely yeah. BEVs. So as you can see, there's still a lot of work to be done on the light commercial vehicles category. And Norway is by far the best scenario because The second best countries regarding LCVs are Sweden with 4%, Iceland and Switzerland with 3%. So very far from Norway and very far from what's going on on passenger cars. So this is a big opportunity, not only for Chinese OEMs and uh, Shanghai Auto is betting heavily on LCVs in Europe. But for EV startups that want to make, make it big in the market, this is a big opportunity. A lot to be done here. And is part of the problem that certain vehicle segments are lacking options or is, or is it incentives related? Because I know there's a lot of, there's several of these smaller electric vans, but I'm not sure what, what the whole LEV or L. LCV market entails and if there's certain big gaps in vehicle options or something? I think, for example, the big leader in Europe regarding LCVs 
is the Runo Kangu. And the Runo Kangu, as it stands today, doesn't have DC charging, for example, and has a 33 kilowatt battery. So it's very outdated, I would say. So new and more modern, modern, modern models and with competitive specs need to enter the market. Uh, there are a few that are coming into the market, like a new generation Kangoo and new Citroën Berlingos and Peugeot Partners, etc. But we are not there yet. And also in incentives, more can be done with uh, LCVs because a lot of policymakers have been focusing on passenger cars, but they are forgetting that light commercial vehicles probably make double the mileage per year that passenger car does. For example, passenger car in Europe might do 15,000 kilometers per year. An LCV probably does 30,000 kilometers per year. So if you transform that into zero emissions, it's the same as having two passenger cars on the road. Well, that wraps up really fascinating discussion. I think anyone who's just listening on the podcast, because this goes on on all of our podcast networks, I encourage you to check out the video because we've got a screen share the whole time of charts from IAFO uh, or at least the article. But yeah, the video is sort of necessary if you want to really follow the discussion well and see all the fun charts. Thank you so much for sharing with us, Jose. Any final words on these topics overall or any other topics? Thank you for inviting me, Zach. And I would say the next two years will be really exciting because that's when you start to see the real disruption happening in the market. Yeah, we're really hitting disruption zone. Uh, we yeah. will not talk about the U.S. because that's just depressing. But uh, good on Europe for being a leader again. And Europe, actually talking about the U.S., just a small notion. It has been good to see that uh, the market is now growing again. And it's not only because of Tesla, but Chevrolet and GM is finally pushing the new generation EVs. Ford is also pushing the new Ford Mustang Mach-E. And now we're waiting for Dodge and Chrysler and Jeep to launch their BVs. Fingers crossed. (laughs) Yeah, we have some positive. I I feel better. I mean, there are some things in the market to feel good about. And I feel like Ford and GM have a lot more going on behind the scenes. But Europe is really where you got to turn if you want some inspiration on uh, on the in the electric vehicle market or china china is also pretty good thank you very much jose have a good rest of rest thank of the you. day okay nice being here bye-bye thank you for listening to clean tech talk join us next time to get your electric fix If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. Thanks.